What's the big idea? All right. Recording? We are recording. We are uh, episode number 47? 47. Late night edition. Late night, yeah. It doesn't matter uh, to them, but uh, yeah. But to us, it's late night. We're recording this uh, late at night, so... Uh, so if we're sleepy or sluggish, that's, uh, that's, um, stop it. We'll stop it. Just wake <laughs> up. Yeah. Wake up. Uh, go to bed. <laughs> uh, we are here talking about, um, I think I have way too much camera on yeah, we didn't really side. Uh, that one, uh, this yeah, one's good. that was pretty good. Oh, you mean yours is pretty good. Maybe that one should go a little more your way. Okay. Like the main one, the three. Uh, Eric's our tech person, so Eric's going to adjust the camera yeah. for people watching on YouTube. You're going to see real time. Yeah, I think that looks good. I think that looks good. Maybe. I don't know. Let me see. I didn't have time to get my oh, mate. protractor out. Mm. A little bit more? Wait, wait. Yeah, a little more. Like, yeah, a little bit more. It's quite a bit. Anyway, uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, the topic is um, that's got to be good. That's got to be good. Yep. Uh, today's topic, we're, we're actually asking the question and sort of answering the question, uh, can you teach someone to compete? Can you teach compete? Or teach how compete. To com- yeah. Teach someone how to compete more. Because I think a lot of a lot of parents see uh, players, their kids, a lot of coaches see young players who don't pursue the ball, they're not aggressive, they don't have the fire. And the question, I think the age-old question is, is that genetic? Is that hardwired? Can you teach it? Uh, if so, how, um, or if not, why not? Right. So, uh, before we get into that though, Eric, you just had, uh, you played a big mm-hmm. beach tournament in Vancouver, mm-hmm. Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Kitsilano beach. Yeah. You want to talk Kits a little beach. bit about how to go? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you fare? How did you, and it's a, it's an awesome tournament. Um, we fared not well. Uh, we got <laughs> knocked out in the first round of qualifying. Okay. It's our first year. So you played two matches we played uh we were in a pool of four played three matches oh, three okay. top two teams in the in that pool move on to the two more rounds of uh knockout and so we didn't we didn't even make it out of our pool it's pretty tough it's like you play one set to 21 no technical timeout mm-hmm. um yeah really good uh so you couldn't do the best two to three for time reasons yeah exactly because mm-hmm. they had an am wave and a pm wave there's just so many teams so it and, then, and even then, there were was still it 64, like, 64 teams in qualifier? 60 teams. So there's, 60. So there's a few pools of three. Okay. They got to play uh, t- uh, two matches, did best two out of three. Okay. Yeah. But there was only four pools that had a pool of three. Right. So really tough. But, um, you know, it was our first year playing it. It's like because we're in in a way like weekend warriors it's like we haven't really even played a full season together mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in terms of the other teams that we're competing with right like who are practicing four or five times a week and then yeah. competing on weekends but so but it, it was frustrating because we we pl- definitely played to like our lower level which sucked and we never got um to you know kind of get build our own momentum and play our game because mm-hmm. each game started with uh uh, like a three-point deficit. Like <laughs> our first match, we just let – we gave up three points with um, hubby wife spin serves, mm. right? So and it's just like, like, yeah, just getting used to that server and then kind of clawed back into it. 
and you're overwhelmed too, like the setting, the environment. You guys mm. had a lot of travel, a huge amount of travel. Yeah, so yeah. It was, it, the the cool thing is, I think that you like we talked about a bit, like you're getting practice in that moment. Yeah, like that you're practicing not just the playing; it's the the, the feeling. Yeah, the atmosphere to be in that has got to be. And uh, that, that, that's that, the learning, right? Yeah, that was the biggest takeaway from it for mm-hmm. sure. Was that feeling, and it, it's definitely getting better because it's um, helping us to be able to kind of snap to like you know, reset yeah. m- more. Right. Um, and I think like, like other tournaments that previously might've felt big will mm-hmm. not feel big. They won't now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the cool thing. That's the growth yeah. that people forget. Like even if they come away from a losing weekend and they go, Oh, you know, we didn't win a game, but there's something there that they're missing. And, and that's, it's so cool when people do that because that's what makes you um, better. Right. Like it's, if you don't recognize the improvement, in, in a losing situation, then that's what, so that'll take your self-esteem down. But if you start to pull out the positives and not just ho- hokey stuff, like fake stuff, but real stuff, if you start seeing positives, like through the experience, the reps, the whatever, um, that's how you actually build your self-esteem up and get better from these things, right? Whereas people, it's how you frame it, right? How you, and, and not just frame it, but recognize the, the, the growth from something like that. Right. I agree with that. And and the fact that we came out, like, for sure, we're, you know, kind of upset, like, immediately after the match. But we still came out, like, we, we just went on, like, a big hike afterwards and, like, kind of to help it, like, get off our minds or whatever. But then we still stuck around for the rest of the tournament to watch. And we were still, as a team, we had a good outlook on right. wanting to, we want to be back there next year. And, and we still have a bunch of big tournaments for the, you know, for the, before the season's over anyways. Yeah. And we're still really looking forward to that because these these matches or these times when you play kind of at your lowest level, they can, you know, it, I'm sure it can cause friction in some teams, right? Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden the anger starts to come out and stuff like that, and then the blame game, and um, and that doesn't happen with us, thankfully. So yeah, well, I think you guys have realistic expectations, and, and you're very mm-hmm. aware that we've never done this before yeah and we aren't doing it as much as other people where you're starting to do it more than you did last year which is a step in the right direction because it's hard to find a partner who's willing to do it exactly yeah so that's half the battle right because yeah. i think a lot of people out there who play beach can relate like it's really hard to find a partner who's as totally. committed as you like it's usually it usually feels like one partner is more into it than the other i know that was the case in my days too but yeah um does so that's half the battle and then you're working on stuff together and then um like I said, it's all reps, and you'll just yeah. find that you'll you'll find that when you go to big these big quote unquote big tournaments, you're going to be a, feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, um, I think so. And that's a, that's the big thing. Like people bail, right? Like people bail on these things because they're like, oh, we lost, or oh, we're not doing well. And like the biggest part of the battle is to just keep going. That's the difference. The ones that just keep going, keep going. You know, and of course, there's a time where you gotta hang it up, but. It, it really it really should depend on if you're not having fun. Right. You know, if you're I having think, fun, keep going. Yeah. Even if you're, quote, unquote, too old. Or right. Whatever. I think maybe, I, like, yeah, like, and it, I, I think this will tie into um, the topic, mm-hmm. uh, for say, of, of competition. But maybe after a certain amount of seasons, if, because uh, I, I think fun is innately tied into that sense of competing. And mm. if you don't feel like you're competing or if you don't feel like you're making any progress, fun may will likely disconnect from that right like 100 you know if you're just kind of stepping back so 
Yeah, it's one of the reasons I think why high level athletes quit playing a sport right. before low level. Like, you know, people who are just literally having fun. Right. Whereas a high level athlete can't have fun because they're like, I was sort of there earlier this summer. I remember yeah. I was telling you, I was like, yeah, coming back from my uh, now well known Achilles injury that's <laughs> all over the internet. No. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I was ready to like sort of like getting a little down and like thinking, ah, you know, I don't want to play anymore because I'm not at the level. I was frustrated. The first day I came back to play, it was a hurricane too. So I was like, I was like, couldn't even try <laughs> it out and I was pissed off. And But then I started training a bit more and then I started having a little better results. And I was like, okay, you know, I can still do it and feel good. And so it, uh, yeah, definitely com- competition is, if, if you're a high level athlete, competing is the fun. Mm. And, and if, uh, if you're not a high level athlete, then you can just have fun forever. Like I do, I remember looking around going, how come, you know, they, they play forever and I don't want to play anymore. Like, why am I not liking the game? Yeah. Right. But it's just because of the, you know, if you're not doing it at the level you're used to, it's very frustrating. That, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, yeah, you're seeing me kind of claw out of that right now mm-hmm. and hopefully and overcoming that. And I think, I think I will just because the interest is definitely growing, but, but I draw inspiration from, yeah, being at that event just in general, like yeah, it uh, that that was kind of a big thing because I'm, I'm I'm so happy that like I'm a bit of like a hermit, like introverted person, right? So mm-hmm. not only was the volleyball a great experience, but we were out there in BC for a week, and like I've never been out there, and like so, you know, we were golfing, hiking, doing all, all this sort of stuff, and then we're just meeting uh, a whole bunch of people of a community that I love, which is volleyball. Um, like the whole weekend, I was just meeting a whole bunch of cool people. Yeah, and speaking of like older people, well. He's not that old, but someone who's having fun who's still like a uh, phenomenal athlete was like Martin Reeder, mm-hmm. right? There were seven former and current um, Olympians at this tournament. And so Martin Reeder was one of them. Yeah. And he's uh, paired up with uh, someone he knows from the Australian indoor national team, mm-hmm. Curtis Stockton. Anyways, Reader was blocking and then uh, Stockton was defending. But they, these guys were one of the two most fun teams to watch all weekend because they were just like getting into the crowd yeah, and like just having fun on the court and like making big plays. And when they made big plays, they were like really getting in the crowd. And the crowd absolutely loved him, right? So like, and, <laughs> um, you know, how can you know? He's a reader's like wearing the headband. He's like. Yeah, he's always been a showman. Yeah, like, he He's is. all energy guy. and Big energy for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, like, and it's a skyball tournament, right? So. They love the moment where the crowd is like, because everyone's like cheering for the skyball at, at game point, right? Yeah, and they yeah, feed yeah. off that kind of energy. That's cool. Yeah. Um, was, but well, you were just saying it was inspiring to be around those athletes and uh, yeah, seeing them play. And even like, how old is Martin Reeder? I think he's thirty. I think he's thirty nine. Yeah. I didn't ask yeah, him. Yeah, he's definitely older than you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, he keeps himself in great shape. Yeah, and he said him and his buddy like hadn't even been playing. You know, they practiced like four times. So their first actual game together was on. Wow. That was their first. They lost that first game um, against the team. It was a bit surprising, but it's like this is our first time actually playing together. So it's not surprising. Oh my god, that's so crazy. Yeah. yeah, and then they ended up doing really great. Um, and then they end, uh, we watched them play. So in my in my opinion, the one of the top teams there was the uh, Austrian I think it's their number three team currently mm-hmm. Christoph Dresler and Maxi Trummer yeah I might probably didn't say that right but yeah but I've, I, yeah I've seen them before super fun to watch yeah. these guys too because uh Maxi Trummer he's just literally he's the defender on that team always has a smile on his face mm-hmm. right and we're yeah. sitting there like trying to cheer on like Reader and Stockton but like this dude is just like smiling all the time. Yeah. yeah, too likable. We ended up cheering for them and then we got to they, they ended up beating Reader out. 
Um, so we had a good like conversation with them afterwards, just, um, you know, we're in the beer garden. So like kind of like being vocal and they, they hear us. Wherever. And I think, I think they ran out of water at one point. So oh, <laughs> my God. he ended up grabbing water while I was booking it out of the beer garden, all the way down the beach to the water fountain, filled them up, brought them back. For these oh, guys. that was nice. You see, yeah. like, turned into the water boat. No, just yeah, the water boat. yeah, it was pretty <laughs> That's funny. humility. That's good. That's we good. loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And reader, like, I guess it was like, a, he's been like, a pro for a long time and mm-hmm. this was kind of a comeback tournament for him eh like a little bit like yeah he, he hadn't did really well circuit. man yeah i know did that's really the thing well. right like there's he, a bunch of great matches that that happened too early that you know that just happens in tournaments sometimes right. but um it would have been great to see those on the sunday but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah that's cool so how far did they get reader <clears throat> in stockton i think that was uh i think that was a pre-quarter okay and that's, then, that's pretty good so yeah yeah like for a guy and <laughs> played together totally they they should have ended up they should have ended up in a semi that's cool and then go from wherever there or sorry they should have ended up in a final but and then the women's side was also absolutely amazing just yeah, really what, really I good competition so what happened to what happened um, well like I, I was a little surprised i was watching the semis and i was surprised not to see there was a four-star event in portugal that's why oh they pulled out yeah, they're oh. so all and there are a bunch of American teams, like AVP teams that we were expecting to see. I think everyone went down to this four star event in ah, Portugal. Interesting, because they were on the on the site. As yeah, I swear, yeah, I swear they, they were, were on the they site. Were, yeah, I wonder if it was a last minute. <laughs> yeah, thing. Hmm. Maybe some teams. I, I don't know how that works. But four star are the bigger point ones. For yeah, they are. Right? That's what's so surprising. But they're more wasn't. open. It's not just top sixteen. It's they right. Have, I think so. I think you can even qualify for those as well. I right? think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because the, yeah. the the elite sixteen ones are tough to get into, obviously. So right, that's uh, what that's what that was the word, anyways. Mm. So why we didn't see a bunch of teams there, but interesting. Ah, okay. Well, that's cool. So it was a good experience for you, and see, like it's a good example for for people listening. I think that like Eric and Pete, like they are uh, recognizing where they're at uh, in the stage of growth and und- and valuing the losses right like value seeing the value not just going straight to frustration there's patience here and uh there'll come a time where you guys feel like it's time that you should be accomplishing more and hopefully it it coincides with the results but but right now you're very realistic about it and you guys see this as a process which is it's just good to see yeah like our losses we just ask ourselves like is this a team that we can compete with Really, like when we're out gun, we're out gun for sure. But that's you were, and you weren't blown away by the way. Like, no. what were the scores? You should tell people 18, 21, 18, 21. Yeah, 18, 21, 18, 21. And then the third one, uh, that one we won. Oh, you did win one. We, yeah, we won. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's well, they cool. were 16, so I hope it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we lost, it would have sucked, but uh, we but, won that. but but are they a full time? beach uh i don't training. i don't think so i think they're i think they know I think, <laughs> come on i'm trying to help oh, you they were think, really muscular though right they were like eight feet tall they no. were tall young kids and i think they their parents are showing them the value of beach ball with their indoor kids and oh okay so they so they, this is getting worse and worse <laughs> i mean we beat them like 21 8 but still oh, okay like, okay yeah but they were indoor kids who's they, they could they couldn't set so like oh a bunch of bad plays, oh, okay but. jeez i thought hmm. But still, twenty one eighteen, twenty one eighteen. That's pretty good. And yeah. you, you guys play a lot less probably than the teams. Yeah, and the, like these teams, in our in our opinion, like the, we can beat these teams. You know, um, we've taken a set off one of them, and the other guys, we had totally just played our lowest game. So it's and and we know the teams at the tournament that we know we're absolutely 
outgunned by. And it, uh, and in our opinion, it's really the only, it would have been like the top four teams there, right? So yeah. the thing is, if, if that's our opinion, then that is going to, there's no reason for us to stop. And then if you accept that there's no reason to stop, um, then you're just going to keep doing what you're like for me, like I'm going to take this as an opportunity opportunity to keep training. And this is, this is what I think leads into our topic today. Um, because I'm not, I don't think I'm an innately highly competitive person, Mm -hmm. but I think that the more effort I put into this sport, when I start to train more and more and more, that is going to make me more competitive. Um, because I'm going to be holding myself like accountable for what I'm doing. Right. Because I think that's the way to measure the, uh, what I'm getting out of, of, from what I'm putting in, like why it's crazy when you consider what a pro athlete is doing, Mm. especially in a sport where they're not well-funded, they are giving up highly productive. Well, I shouldn't say they're giving up the years of their lives where they're physically at, at the peak. Right. Um, and they're not really getting a lot of money for it or whatever. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, we talk a lot about this, especially in volleyball. Like we hope, I hope everyone who has the opportunity to go play pro goes and does it for the opportunity. We're just, I'm just worried about many of them because I hope they can pivot afterwards. Mm -hmm. Right. And then make something out. Maybe they can get into business or something or use that competitiveness to, you know what I mean? Because so many of them don't make money. Yeah. You have to funnel it, (coughs) channel it into something else. So that, that, um, I guess we can start talking about it, but it's yeah. Um, to, to the question of uh, can you teach com- competitiveness? I think it's yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the genetic thing. Some people are absolutely just innately much more competitive than others, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so I, I'm actually going to use that as a self experiment on myself. Like right now, I'm hoping to become more and more competitive, and I think it is. It's already working in some degree, right? And it's the more confidence I build, the more training I, I put into it, the better I feel. And then the more fun it's going to be because if I'm training to get better at whatever, jumping higher, and then all of a sudden that's paying off. I'm seeing the court more. That's going to give me more confidence. I can just put the ball where I want it. That's going to just make me feel great for the work I'm putting in. Mm-hmm. And then nothing feels better than beating a team that you are at a similar level with when they're trying their hardest and you're trying your hardest, you know, you're both in that flow state mm. and then you may get a victory out of it. Like, yeah. Right. So that, that's where, and that's why you see these athletes on the, on these courts or the game, these games we watch incredible rallies, like rallies you would never see before because, you know, a, because the, the crowds are so huge and there's so much energy yeah. that they're going to give everything they got. Right. So when you're, when you're, uh, someone watching, especially a player, there's nothing more that you want, but to be that person on that court playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're jealous of them in that regard. Yeah. So, and then there's huge respect for it. Yeah. No, I like what you said about, um, it's, it's interesting, the connection between like what you put in and what you expect out of it. It's like, so when you were talking about training more, uh, I think that there's something there where <laughs> I, I, I very often see athletes who don't put in enough effort expecting results that they don't deserve. And they think they're competitive because they get angry when they lose. Yeah. Versus someone who um, puts in a lot of work. Uh, and then I think the competitiveness kicks in uh, or the desire to compete because you are putting in all this time. So now you expect some results and you're like, okay, it's not happening. And that can that can bring some fire to your game a little bit. Like, oh, Interesting. I deserve to be doing better yeah. than I am now. At least... 
if you, I mean, and we don't know if that, how much of that is genetic, right? Because some people yeah. might spend all these hours in the gym and say, man, I'm still not good. I don't deserve to be here. But I think there's a higher chance that if you are doing X, Y, Z or X, Y, Z somewhere, then you are, uh, it can raise your, rightfully so, raise your expectations on the court. Yeah. It can bring a bit, a little bit of fire. I think, is that sort of what you were getting at there a little bit? Yeah. There? Well, and I'm, now I'm starting to think, I don't know what comes before, like maybe the genet, genetic component it determines whether we are hardworking type people or whether we're more. Because even yeah, fight or flight, right? Like, are we gonna fight this uh, challenge, or are we gonna yeah. shrink shrink from it? Or maybe I wouldn't like because even back in my younger club days, like I would I would always go to practice and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. I think I worked hard, but I was just like laughing on the court most of the time. But yeah, um, but sometimes that's the key. Like, you know, sometimes that's a that's a vital thing to, for success is would, playing relaxed. Yeah, like we talked about this in earlier episodes. We're like some of our best years when I was a kid or like even in varsity days were the matches where I wasn't gripping so tight and, you know, we were joking around that makes you looser, swing better, yeah. you know, pass better versus when you're up tight. So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes the looseness or loose play can be more competitive or like be- reap better results too. Yeah. Um, should we say like, so maybe we should define like what is, uh, what do we, we mean when we we're talking about, compete like when you think about a player who competes what would you define that as hmm i would say it's someone who like they're they're very much there for a purpose um and they almost i maybe like confidence is kind of connected with it because hmm. i don't think anyone who does like is has low self-esteem I don't think you see that competitive n- nature in them. Mm. And I, I guess we're still trying to define it. So someone who's, um, you know, like really putting away balls or going for like risky shots or um, uh, I, I'd say shows like they can show a lot of energy on the court or not not necessarily verbally, but like in a determined way. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll, you know when you're playing with someone who's very competitive right or against someone who's very competitive yeah. because they're aware of the energy on the court and they will push just like in any sport you want to push your game onto the opponents right mm-hmm. so when you're playing against someone or with someone that has that energy you need to meet it otherwise you're going to feel you're definitely going to feel drowned out by it so like right now my i think pete my partner is more competitive than me and so I feel it's on me to 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 meet that, and then and then when I do, that's when we both are at this level where the game is like so much fun. And what is it with, that you would say is <coughs> making Pete? Or why would you say Pete's more competitive than you? I guess is. The- I think I might. Part of it would be genetic. I would think he's just a very, and like energetic, extroverted type of person. He's always wanted to do stuff, and he's just he's a gifted athlete all around. Like in mm-hmm. in many things. Uh, many different sports yeah he loves to he loves to play games out of anything he loves to put like <laughs> he loves to like put money down on stuff or not or just make not even money but like right. small small bets or dares or whatever. yeah yeah you know what i mean he loves that stuff so and like he a- i think he loves to put it because i think he puts he loves putting pressure on himself right mm-hmm. we i think we talked about this with jordan in the whole or even with trash talk right yeah yeah like i, I think for sure i'm afraid of it because i'm afraid to like go at someone because now I know I'm putting myself on the line <laughs> and it's funny because I just started to realize this and I think I may actually mess around with it it's going to be so funny seeing someone who's I'm going to like politely trash talk someone but it's only in a way to like put pressure on myself but you're going to do it maybe because before <laughs> I always thought it was just being a rude person but like yeah. 
And I, I think there still is like a, an element, but you don't have well, to be, you don't have to be rude to do trash. You can just say here, like, here's the thing. Here's the problem with what you're thinking about doing. <laughs> I'm like, not like, you're gonna, one, you're going to get beat up. I know, I know, I know. No, what it is, is so the reason why it won't work is because if it's not in your nature, mm. then you're only reinforcing that your nature is wrong. Right. And thereby really hurting your self-esteem. Yeah. So, you, like, you know, we, I, we say these things like, no, I don't. That's I don't. Not right. Okay, okay. But, but we do say these things like <laughs> be authentic. It's become this cliche, but that is so true because, I mean, half the people that are saying this are faking it online. But but when, when we <laughs> say the message behind be authentic is that it's useless to not be yourself mm. because then you're just making... You're, you're you're ruining your self-esteem. Yeah, you're yeah. actually you're inside. You can't fool your inner self. Your inner self knows that, like, because you're not like that. No, I'm like, not. I could just, I know, see, I I could just see, you're like, like, hey, uh, your mom's yeah. like, so uh, fat. <laughs> ah. And it wouldn't be, it would be so fake. Yeah. I'd be like, what? Be so and I'd say something to you, like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think the key for you, like, I know my my true self is like what I was talking about earlier with the training. Yeah. That that that's, will be. Yeah, that's you. Back yeah. to the lab. Get working. Yeah. Come back out, and then just. You know, I think I think being around a partner that's competitive is good, but then there's also the benefit. Don't forget, like if if you were as competitive as your partner, that could be a really toxic marriage. Yeah, because yeah. then the the beauty of it might be that you guys are a little bit different, and that he, he what drives him is different than what drives you. You're a little more, um, I would say, uh, cerebral in your approach to the game. You like to think, you like to, right. you know, and sometimes to, to a detriment, like anybody else, every athlete gets it too much in their heads. Um, but I mean, I think that's why it probably works so well. Cause if you're both competitive, then you might fall into that blame game and you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas I think with Pete, he, if he is more competitive than you, depending on how we define that, right. Cause I like, do you think you spend more time in the gym working on things than Pete? maybe like equal maybe equal okay yeah yeah uh so there's there's some interest because like that is also competitiveness <laughs> right like your your ability to get in the gym on your own mm-hmm. thinking about the match or thinking about beating someone is competitive right um i think in the right. game um you might like i think so what is it in the game that you think pete shows that that you would make you think he's more competitive in the game what what things is he doing that you're not doing maybe <laughs> um i think he's Swear, just is he swearing <laughs> no, no no he's never he's no. maybe like when we when we get in a bad rut he's the first to uh well maybe like he's more just um outward and i'm much more inward like he's much mm-hmm. more the the extroversion introversion is very obvious on the okay. court right so he'll start talking more like let's yeah. go let's go he's like mm-hmm. he'll be more yeah say like what are we doing here like yeah and then and i'm thinking it already in my head i'm like literally yep. like we just did warm up for 20 minutes and here we are looking wobbly on the court mm-hmm. like not confident does that help you when he says things it doesn't it's it's neutral okay. i think it um yeah because it, it, it seems supportive yeah like yeah it's, just, it's not like the blame game. and it's honest and then i think what it does is just it's just looking at both of us it's not it's not yeah it's any not blame. you yeah, yeah and i'm just like yeah like what are we doing here right so we yeah. ask ourselves that and mm-hmm. then it's just and that that we got to those points early on in both those games uh that we, we ended up still losing but we ended up like clawing back making some great stuff and then we were on the verge of getting our momentum going like tying the game but then all of a sudden when you're like on your heels all game mm clawing back and you feel the pressure of you know you lose this and we're out type thing you're yeah, yeah. definitely more hesitant i never felt on that side of aggression 
I definitely was always on the side of hesitancy, right? Right, yeah, which is so common. <clears throat> Does Pete perform better in clutch than you, do you find? Uh, I think maybe. I, mean, I think yeah. he may be in, uh, like, yeah, I think he might be the clutch person a little more often than myself, but... But that's also you're also uh, humble to a fault, so yeah, I don't and know. you don't see it in yourself. Because yeah. then, like when I am when I am on that side of aggression, then it can also happen that way. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's hard to say. It's interesting, like a, a sport where there's two people. Well, that's what I'm trying to get at here. Is like, are, is your assessment of competition like? Are you defining it properly? Because I think a lot of people listening, right? Sometimes, like, here's what I hear when I when when you ask someone. Or are you competitive? You ask them and they're like, oh, yeah, I get what they mean is they hate losing. But right. that's not necessarily competitive. That just means that they can't handle losing or like, you know, yeah, I'm competitive. I, I trash talk people. Well, that means you can't handle winning. Um, I don't think. You know I, I mean? Yeah, I think com- competitiveness is not just what you're doing on the court, but it's also like what you're doing like like the hard work the training and stuff mm-hmm. and then like being being uh i don't know a, a, a student of the game in some ways yeah you know if you're so even sometimes like um we just sent p and i will send each other clips of like teams that like like highlights we love to watch or whatever right and then we're talking about things that we love that they're doing or like this play and how we thought it like went down or so we're just also like um yeah students of it and big fans of the sport as well yeah, it's. I don't think it's just on the court because com- to be competitive means you want to you want to do better and you want to be in a place where you are fighting for something, mm-hmm. and hopefully you want to win that, and then you want to move on to the next ladder. I think it's a. I think it's a a process that you are attracted to, and I don't think there's any end cap on it because, yeah. like for us, we'll never hit the. We'll never be top in the world or whatever Mm -hmm. but even if you are someone who who gets you know some of these top athletes olympians yeah they're only that for that one tiny moment right and then all of a sudden they're like oh my goodness look over my shoulder there's everyone gunning for me yeah right so i think to me uh, to be competitive is someone who is an addict to that process of improvement or right i don't know Can, can you tell um by um can you tell by watching someone if they're competitive or do you have to be aware of their process i think you can see for sure in some people especially people that i get to see like every other weekend throughout a summer mm-hmm. um because i'm watching their game develop or not develop yeah or i'm, or I'm watching their mental personality on the court yeah really show itself i think that's that's the big one yeah you can tell by watching someone if they have compete right yeah and it's usually i mean sometimes i think you can see it in yourself too as a person like i i think that one of the so one of the things if we were to like tick the boxes on a competitive person make a list of (laughs) things i i think that one of them is like pursuit of the ball right yeah an easy one is like do they give up on a chase do they keep going do they go the extra mile the people that just go the extra mile like i played with people that surprised me sometimes indoors and on the beach like they're just like you thinking that there's no way they're getting that ball and then they get a touch on it yeah and then you realize how 
you gave up on competing <laughs> because they touched the ball and you're like, oh man, I should have went. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that can be a different, that could be a lack of belief in a teammate that you didn't follow them, but whatever. But um, so I think pursuit of the ball is a great one for competitive people. I think that, cause that is like one of those things, like, you know, we always say on the show, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And if that, that's almost like a window into their mind, right? It's an easy one because there are those players that don't go and then, you know, or they give up on something. That's got to be one of the best, especially in volleyball. Because like that, that's the, that's connected to the whole thing of aggression, which is difficult to teach kids. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's if you, whenever you have a teammate, whether it's an indoor or on the beach and they're, they don't pursue that ball that they should have. Right. You felt that. It's just like. Yeah. It's awful. And it makes you think, it makes you think less of them. Yeah. As a person or even, you know, if I see it in myself, I'm like, what the hell, right? Like, come yes. on. So, so compete is good. And then, um, and I was oh, sorry, chasing ball pursuit is really good. And, um, and I think also when they do it, like, so like when I think about it, there are players that will chase the ball down, go after it hard and aggressively. And that, but there's players that will only do that when it's close or when yeah, things are going right. well for their team, I think that's the next level where it doesn't matter the score. And yeah. then that athlete, like, you know, if it's like, you know, 10 points down, 10 points up, and they're still going after it, that's a next level of competitiveness because what I think now is you're talking about someone who maybe they may be externally validated, you know, like the, okay, the score matters, I'm going to really try. But then you get that next level of competition or compete where the player doesn't care about the score. And then they're still yeah. going because that, that taps into like, like, you know, training when nobody's watching yeah. that taps into like not posting on social, what they're doing, just doing it. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, cause the setting, the surrounding circumstances don't matter. I'm just going to hold myself to the standard. Yeah. I'm imagining like teams like, cause I've seen it, um, scores like two, two, and then all of a sudden a rally erupts. That's just some something crazy where it's like dig into dig into sad hit into like crazy dig into like over into chase down into dig into like you know just wild stuff and it's like two two and there's land and because i think those people are you know and one one team has to lose a point one team wins it but like they they cannot not do that yeah you know what i mean because then it would be a violation of who they are or or what they have done leading yeah. up to that point right so there's a few there's a few and uh, now a few of these people i'm thinking of one in particular he's it's so funny talking with him off the court like super nice guy like just like funny and all this stuff and on the on the court he can be like a little chirpy and like uh kind of get in try to get in your head and stuff not always but he's just but his pursuit for the ball is absolutely wild and he gets like a little emotional but even mm-hmm. at himself right he's yep. probably more vocal to himself than he is other people mm-hmm. and he was the kind of person to like challenge the ref and like stuff like that mm-hmm. um but like it's the energy, right? Like, yeah, they, they got to keep the energy, dude. Up and it, it is. I love. I love watching it, and it, it's it's probably like intimidating to play, and um, because you know that like no matter where you put this ball, like they are going to be chasing it down. But that is also incredibly satisfying if you end up beating a defender like this. Yes, um, that means you're doing something right, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of like what other. Because the 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 whole and I guess the reason why I brought up the the vocality is, you know, you can have those players who are just big vocal energy, right? Um, but kind of 
there there's a consequence to to, to that like if you're gonna try to feed off being big and vocal and then you start to get shut down we all know the high emo, the emotional players right mm-hmm. they can go from highs to lows right yeah and then they can get in their own head now the thing is i mean if we talk about tennis there are emotional players and stable players on the tour yeah and it's some, fascinating in tennis, you know right? some of the emotional ones are highly competitive yeah i've only seen one like like the only one I've seen that can lose it and win in clutch moments is Djokovic. Right. I, I've never seen, I don't know people must know who Djokovic is. I'm sure if they're volleyball fans, but I haven't seen a player lose it like him and pull it together so fast. Yeah. And I, I've heard him talk a little bit about how it's uh, a little bit of his mindset and like where, you know what? He stopped punishing himself for letting it out. Like, you know, that's what um, I noticed on this last, Oh yeah, we need to do an update. Yeah. <laughs> Another time, maybe. Let's say another time, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, everybody, if you're listening, uh, just start. This this most this most recent Wimbledon. That's exactly what I thought because watching, you know how they do the, an interview with him afterwards. Mm. I've never seen him so smile so much and be so happy for Alcaraz, the young kid who we lost against. Uh, despite the fact that he smashed a racket, I think in the past he would have been, he would have looked. Um, more guilty or felt like he'd done something wrong, which we'd seen him in the past. But this time, yeah, he smashed a racket. He lost the game, but he was so happy for his competitor, right? Yeah. That's got to come with age too, I mean. Yeah, appreciation right? for the moment. And I honestly, I don't think he had the best game. But um, yeah, that's so that's a good example of an emotional player. I think there's one on the, the women's side. Sabalenka is a little like that. Mm-hmm. She had a few games where... Serena. Serena was like that, actually. Serena, Serena was like, was like that. Like, yeah, live totally. It. Usually she didn't come out too well, though, when she you could see her visibly trying to compose herself. Yeah. Because again, I think there's a difference, too, in the American culture, North American culture, where we... We frown upon um, overreactions and anger. Right. We think of it as bratty, like John McEnroe. Actually, John McEnroe is a great example. Of a guy yeah, who right. lost it and did very well. Yeah, um, but uh, we frown on that behavior here. Whereas I think in in Djokovic's case, he he said that he works with some guys like Jay Shetty and yeah. know, and that they sort of say, you know, it just it's kind of like meditating. Remember we talked about like don't beat yourself up for having the negative thought. Right, let it go through. So so he let it. He does it, Probably and then it's it gone. It's going, yeah. and then if you frame it that way, it can be like, oh, therapeutic. Like, oh, yeah. I let that out, right? Whereas Federer, I think was Federer when he was young had like anger issues, and then um, and he learned to just again cultural thing. I think he's learned to calm it down and keep it under control. And, hmm. But I almost feel like with Federer, as I don't much know how Federer did. He was so calm, so cool. stoic. But I I have Crazy. a feeling that he wasn't really though. I think yeah, I think he just was yes. Because there were times where he would like when he struggled in matches, like the rare times that he did later in his career. He, you almost could tell that he's about to he erupt. wasn't bouncing back. He wasn't bouncing back. You know what I mean? So it's it's affecting maybe his play. From a lack of lack of expression. Like yeah. you could argue maybe something he needed to get out with Federer sometimes, but. Um, but then again, there were times where he just destroyed people and looked exactly the same as what he was getting. <laughs> so that was so cool to see, like very stoic yeah. and terrifying. But um, yeah, I, I think that, so can we, so if that's, I mean, that's, so I'm trying to think if there's other levels of compete that you can see on players. I mean, I, I think the mistake that most people make is assuming it's anger, all right? And um, when I, when you lose, uh, that's not, that's not competing, competing is doing all like working your butt off bringing i think energy not necessarily through talking like that can be an example of someone who needs the energy 
But I think like you were sort of talking about the trash talking. I think that's it doesn't work if you reverse engineer it. Right? <laughs> no, like, no, like it if doesn't. you start talking to be more competitive, that's not real. It's no, like, no, no. Yeah. You're right. No, I, yeah. So <laughs> so like there are people who need to talk because that's their energy. Yeah. And that's fine. That's being themselves. But then there's people who watch players like that and they're like, Oh, I gotta do some of that. No, it doesn't work that way. No, no. Because yeah. you would if you don't have the <laughs> thought. Um, I think, if, I think right because it, it's do probably it an expression for them. That's yeah, part of it's, their and, game. and it's legit, and it's and you can see the players who are faking crap like that. Yeah, yeah. and you see the players that are. It like, would if I were to do it, it would definitely all of a sudden create a whole bunch of self doubt. Yeah, and then I would be putting myself in a in a in an environment, an internal environment that I am absolutely not accustomed to, um, which is why yeah, absolutely not a, a good idea. But I think. It, yeah, it's hard to describe what a competitor is, but I think also an, another obvious one is the people that you see. It's not only chasing on the ball, but it's getting into those like three set grinds or five, like an indoor five set grinds. And who are they in that fifth set? Yep. You know, like that's because you learn so much. Yeah. I don't know. I think we used to have a saying, but like we were uh, in, in one of our varsity years, we got to so many five set games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you really, we pretty much knew our like lineup where it has some flexibility to it. But when it came to the fifth set, it's like, we know who's going to play. And then the game is just different in the fifth set in, mm. in a little bit. We just kind of know who's going to be taking over the ball and who's going to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or who we need to kind of, uh, support with, with our energy and like yeah. verbally, especially Sorry, I was thinking indoor. of opponents. Like, you know, there are some, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, you also right. know like, okay, we're just going to steamroll them here because they haven't done this enough for the yeah. weaker. That's sorry, I meant opponents. Yeah, teammates. You don't want to say it that way. You don't want to say like who's going to disappear. But sometimes you got to know that. Yeah, too. Yeah. Like coaches have to know that, right? Like which player is ready for this and which player yeah. isn't, and that sort of thing. Which players are aware of the of the momentum? Like it's always an issue when you steamroll a team one set, mm-hmm. and then especially at the beginning of the game, the second set, all of a sudden your whole team like calms down a little bit, and then they take their foot off the gas, and then you end up next thing you know you give up a set or whatever so yeah and this is that's an interesting thing that reminds me of the 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 chasing down the ball because it's one little dip in energy or focus or aggression and then you'll lose a point and then that that like goes out like a ripple throughout the whole team and then the the likelihood of it happening again the next rally is very high and then again until it gets to a point where you're everyone's very aware of how like not, I can't say stupid, but how disconnected from the game you are in that moment. Mm. And then, then that's where frustration and anger can, can come out, which can then be a catalyst to prompt and get yourselves back in. Because oftentimes when, sometimes when I, when that happens, especially if I was um, one of the people who made a mistake, mm-hmm. getting mad at myself can actually work as a way to bounce myself back in. And then it gives me a whole bunch of energy to go for aggressive serve yep. or swing or whatever. And then I get a point and then I'm energetic and then boom, all of a sudden now, now you get a positive ripple through the team. Right. So, and that's definitely happened. Like that's actually <laughs> the way P and I like commonly play is we always go down like four points at the start of a game. It's interesting. And then we're like, all right, like let's go. And then, you know, and then we, and then we get yeah, into it. Right. No, I, that's <laughs> true to me too. And you know, it's funny. I've noticed this uh, as the older I got, the more I needed 
to be um, behind it to yeah. get going. And I've noticed... Like losing a set. Yeah, you know what's funny <laughs> too? I noticed this in all sports about older athletes. I remember like I noticed this particularly about goalies, like in hockey, mm. uh, like when Martin Berdur and Patrick Waugh, I noticed they would always start out the season near the ends of their careers in their upper 30s or mid 30s. They would start to... They would be awful for the first 10 and everybody every year for the past like for the last like three four years of their career were like are they done are they done and i'm like no because i know this now like i felt it too i was around the same age and i know that it takes a while for the season for you to get going you just get your body in gear and and then they would be lights out yeah and um huh. because they're just older right you just need t- longer time to heat up i remember our like our alumni <laughs> our alumni varsity games every year we go back and we're always like a hodgepodge of old guys i'm always the oldest these guy are there. good examples I well, know i'm always the oldest yeah. guy there and like we're always down two sets yeah, to, yeah, none, yeah, yeah. to the um to the young guys and then we steamrolled yeah. the last three sets. it doesn't like, matter who's right. on the team it's just because the old guys need time. And uh, yes, there's some chemistry stuff, but not really because we're all physically stronger than them. Yeah. We just need time to get the body. You are pissed off a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like, why, why should I yes. try? Why should I kick in a high gear unless you unless you demand it from It's me. up against it. Yeah. So yeah. like sometimes we, and I think we do this in life, right? We put ourselves, like this is why we procrastinate with school assignments right. or people, you know, they need the, they need the pressure. Uh, I was actually just talking with that. But somebody, this is based in pride. Whereas I think a lot of people in life act out of fear or necessity like procrastination hopefully but that and that's one way to end it necessity which is what you don't want yeah but i think that's the i I think the idea (laughs) the reason why procrastination is so um uh prevalent is i think we're trying to replicate urgency in projects that are artificially urgent yeah like you know schoolwork is not a real need yeah. it's not sitting in nature for us anywhere so i think i think what we're trying to do when we procrastinate in our jobs and our school <laughs> is <laughs> we're funny. actually putting ourselves in that okay now it's a need mm-hmm. it's it's the only thing we can do with these fake needs so i think that's probably why we keep doing it and that's why people can't even remember we talked, about works, this with, right? we, we talked about this with working out remember how like why is it that we fall off like yeah. why do we why do former athletes get out of shape and then like well if you're not competing yeah if you're not competing but then they but then they off. but then they you know they might create a thing people do yeah. these marathon things people you know we create yeah. urgency to or create the need somehow so maybe procrastination is rooted in that makes yeah. sense a bit right like when they and you let the off season go and you get out of shape or whatever and then to put to make you feel like you're behind it, yeah. behind the eight ball, and you got to kind of be a little disgusted in and yourself. It, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it adds that competitive nature to it. Yeah, like I sometimes, you know, like will enjoy, like I did enjoy, like you know, you come back as an athlete with the injury, and just like sometimes you're like, oh, I played like crap, and then I'm like humiliated, and then you go work out, and yeah. then you're like, ah, oh, oh. well, these little artificial dips, valleys, and peaks you create in your life to the, make just yeah. to kill time before we all die, you know. <laughs> and how fun would these podcasts be if, like, say you had your injury, and then you just chose to like whittle away yeah go on an ice floor not be good die. Was, yeah it's just like <laughs> just shove me out into the ocean on this chunk of ice and i'll, I'll wither away like an old dog it would that would affect your whole life though it would affect your business it would affect you you i just and the th- funny thing is, is i can't it's an alter real alternate reality that's not an alternate reality that would never mm. you would never do that like i don't well 
I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I do consider sometimes. Maybe when you blow out the other Achilles tendon, we'll yeah. see. But like, I well, just, I, I do consider eating everything I want, getting a muumu and, oh, you sc- think and about a scooter, it. Yeah, and a scooter, yeah. and then, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe one day. But uh, you be a competitive eater one day once your <laughs> career's over. I refuse to eat hot dogs in front of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, can you teach this? This is the the million dollar question. This is what the coaches, parents, I, I so like my theory on this is that I think yes, yeah, and I think I think that, but I think we go about it the wrong way. I think that one. So I just see I've seen this in our program, youth programs where we run, where we intentionally try to um, tell parents not to coach kids, like not to shout out instructions to their kids when they're playing, because the more the instruction the kids get. The more they spend time looking over, like we talked yeah, about before, right. and the less tenacious they are going after the ball. When, uh, conversely, if we tell parents to sit back, just let them play, let the kid go play four on four, especially because there's more room and you know fewer players, right? To um, to impede their progress or create hesitation. Mm. What happens is the kids will stop looking at their parents, and then they'll start chasing the ball aggressively, whereas it helps them lose that self-consciousness, right? Especially, and the number one thing is their parents, most people, especially parents who are vocal. So if parents sit back and let kids or coaches sit back and let kids have some fun on the court where there's not too many players, like reduce the number of players. Like that's why threes was so perfect. King's court indoor practice. It gets kids going, right? You really see compete there when kids are, uh, you know, unencumbered by the view, thoughts and views of, or thinking about other people. Yeah. becomes intrinsic, not extrinsic. That, that's the element of com, uh, competition that <laughs> I first uh, um, enjoyed, which was like, I wasn't necessarily a big external competitor against other teams, but mm. in practice, I loved being faster than my buddy or like yes someone hits a big ball i want to go hit a bigger ball yeah i loved that kind of competition because that was fun because then the other person so was what's like, the oh, hurdle so what's the hurdle between I don't, practice and games i don't know i th- well it has to do with because it's the people i know yes that's what i love but then when I, it was people i don't know then i i get for sure a little timid or right um because it's like i guess i'm, a, I'm afraid of the the judgment or something. I, yeah. I, I don't know. No, I think that's what I was going to say exactly. The, the the way to overcome that is to make, see, so that your level of comfort is totally dependent on what's outside of you mm-hmm. um, versus what you want to do. And this is why people try to say this to people like, you know, don't compare yourself with what's out there. Be all in on just you. And in terms, it sounds counterintuitive because it also that's way harder. If yeah. you're in your head, it, well, in your head too. Like I don't, I don't want to confuse this with the idea that be all in you, meaning internally mm, mm. obsessed with how you look, because that some people might mistake what I'm saying here. What I mean is, um, be an independent force that is um, going to behave this way in any setting, right? That and it's easier said than done, obviously. This is the whole thing of yeah, like you're you want to beat your own goals. You want to be you want to compete against yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's you, it. Yeah, and not care about the <clears throat> setting, not care about who's watching. That for sure. That's the trick. That is the trick, and that's why I was sort of at the top of the show when we we're talking about the Vancouver Open that you played in. By you guys going into that, 
it'll diminish the more and more you do those things the less significant it becomes so the less significant than whoever's on the other side of the court exactly and right. that's why it all comes down to reps right so the more you play strangers yeah. the more you play in these new from unfamiliar places with unfamiliar people the less significant it seems because you know you're just used to it and that's where reps comes in and that you know that's how that yeah. works so um yeah so i, I think one way that you can teach um, competitiveness or teach young players to compete, one is to actually stop interfering so much, over coaching, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. we're parents or whether we're players, and let them. This is why so many high level coaches talk about enjoying the game at young ages, because <coughs> those kid those kids will learn to pursue the ball. They'll they they'll be unencumbered. They'll feel free, and then they can focus on the ball. Because right now they're focused on not messing up, focused on instruction, focused on what the coach says, focused on what my parents say. Yeah, and that's not what you want. Because I've seen it. I've are, seen it in real time. I've seen kids where like the parent is sort of instructing, and like you sort of tell them, "Hey, just you know, we want these leagues for kids to feel free, pursue the ball, yeah, and not worry about you. We want them to worry about the ball." <laughs> right or them right. or what they're doing so then those kids just chase like you know sure enough 10 yeah. 15 minutes later they're laughing yeah and then the hesitation's gone yeah you know it's almost like i have to wait to see what my parents says i have to wait to see what my coach says they want they want their friends to see them chase down a ball and bring it back and then they do just they and just, then laugh at or it. not even think about their yeah. friends and just go get the ball yeah because yeah. any if they're thinking about anybody but themselves and that ball right that's sort of what we're talking about we, we no, they're not. With you too right like if you so in your settings or if anybody's worried about the audience you just want to be concerned about you and that ball not the audience not your the, not the team on the other side of the yeah, net. yeah, yeah. not your partner uh, not the scoreboard it's just you and the other side of the net or sorry hmm. you and the ball hmm. uh that's your relationship that's it yeah and then the minute you start thinking about other things then it's gonna hesitation pops in mistakes thoughts toxic oh my god i look like an idiot do i belong here right those are all you know so and then what we're getting at is the best way to introduce this to our young athletes is in a fun environment yes right and then that like and then as the competition develops and gets higher and higher that's what we end up seeing at like these you know ncaa games where like crowd is intense and stuff because start the to teach them there to be to be free Mm -hmm, of external mm -hmm. judgment play their own game yes right because yeah if you're not if you can't do that you are you'll never get there you'll never get there yeah Yeah. and and then because that's what all those athletes are doing they're competing in themselves and then like in especially in indoor they're they're bound by their team and a part of it right and that Mm -hmm. is a a force that like kelp sorry helps keep them stable yeah right i would think well and like we just said like the the way to get over nerves and thinking too yeah much is reps is reps so the more that kid, on the work you've done yeah but the more that kid gets into those reps of like carefree ball pursuit yeah then when they are older you don't even have to teach them it because yeah. it's ingrained in them because like, we know early and they're, ages they're not going to hesitate they'll just yeah. go and early ages is when people learn everything right like the the foundational stuff and our young yep. years really matters and that's why so many coaches t- tell uh you know other coaches like listen you got to make sure they have fun right now because that that fun leads to like the the lack of hesitation and the passion pursuit yeah there's nothing more terrifying than that athlete on the other side of the court where they're like, like Triborn doesn't even look at the score. You know that this guy is just going to go at you for three or wh- whatever, like 42 points or sorry, what's the, yeah. 21, yeah. 10, yeah. 10, yeah. <laughs> but like, 
Yeah, Triborn is an AVP star, U.S. Uh, beach national beach team, and, and Olympian. He, Olympian and um, doesn't look at the score. <laughs> doesn't look at the score. But he <laughs> actually frequently he says that he goes back to serve, <laughs> the and then over. his partner's like, "Hey, the game's over. We won," <laughs> <laughs> which is so awesome because that means yeah. he's, he's like playing. And that it's funny because you know I was thinking about that. I was just watching tennis on the weekend. Uh, Wimbledon was going on, and I was like, like. In tennis, it's interesting because you kind of have to be aware of the score. Yeah, because for there's sure. a, there's a weird like sort Jordan of like the way you too. the way you serve and the way. Yes, but but on the other hand, like I was saying, well, maybe maybe if you just play every point, like it's crucial. Yeah, then, then maybe yeah. early on in the game, because if you just play like every point, it doesn't it, matter. You may get the break on their serve or something. Yeah, or, or well, you definitely have to think about it on your serve, like how much you're going to go for it on a second serve. And, yeah. Which is fascinating in tennis how so much different it is than, than volleyball in a lot of ways and similar in others. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I like the idea of like the fact that, you know, Triborn must be thinking only about his relationship with that ball and mm-hmm. himself. And literally, I mean, that's sort of, you know, we use the word flow state and all that stuff, but focus, that. I mean, focus is a great way to say it. He's just, you just got to be so into what you're doing that, um, that it's just it's not folk it's not affected by anything else including the score and so maybe people the those who get to higher levels of competition hmm. are lucky enough to get the privilege of having more and more pressure like watching yeah. watching these uh, quarterfinals or pre, even the pre-quarters up like these are matches and there's tons of people in there and they're cheering it and they're loving this and then but don't forget the 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 reason why they are there is because they're not thinking about the pressure as much that's from an audience perspective we think there's more pressure in an olympic final than a final right. on the beach down the road right but they're also still benefiting from the fact from that entire process which oh is, yeah for more reps yeah for more yes. reps and now they're getting more reps where like there's so many people but again you're right they're totally they should be like none of this matters mm. and like now, like a bunch of these people, I think a few of them were, were AVP teams as well. They're going to go on to their other matches. And these reps, these in high pressure situations are going to help for that. Yeah. It's just, it's I just, see what you're saying, it's yeah. sorry. It's just more reps. And instead of passing reps, it's reps in pressure. Right. And, and uh, and the more they feel the, pr- it's just sort of a weird thing because the more yeah. they realize it's a high pressure moment, the less likely they are to stay yes, in those moments. Yes, like, yes, you're you, not gonna last. It, you, you better like. So it really is fa- like it really is foundational. It has to start in their youth, right? It's hard to turn it off if you don't get those early years. I I would submit that the the kids that make it or the ad- young adults or young teens that make it to the high level situations are probably the ones that were fortunate enough, either maybe either genetically or they mm. learned it, to not care and just compete. You know what I mean? Like yeah. compete unencumbered. So uh, so that's fascinating because like, I, I think that we make that mistake of trying to teach, uh, go get the ball, go get the ball. And that makes the kid look and be more hesitant and have less self-esteem it's not. and lower self-esteem versus just like, I, I sometimes I'll say to kids, you know, there's no one else who's going to get it. Yeah, so you may as well go, and that's the only advice I give them. But then that's and then you let them go, and you have to. You also have to be patient as an adult watching. I think that that's the real missing thing. Like the more impatient we become in a world of technology, the 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 less patient we are with watching a timid kid. Yeah, and you just have to tell them, you know, just go get it. Don't worry about what it. you're saying in a way, in a way, is just it, I don't care. No one cares. 
Like it's yeah, whatever. Just go get it. So it's your choice. Like whether you want to pay attention to everyone here watching mm-hmm. or or not, which and hopefully you're you're guiding them in the in the direction of like this is your game, this is your moment. You can do yes. what you want with it. There are going to be stupid parents out there like making stupid noises and stuff. Yeah, as we've said in other episodes. Yeah. Um, but like and stupid coaches and stupid coaches. <laughs> but like at the end of the day, what is it? What does it matter? So those those moments in those gyms packed with parents shouldn't be any different than those moments in the gym with just your friends practicing yeah or when you go to like those fun fun play leagues where there's no one um yeah you can just hack around i know and it's weird because we see this development in like so these youth programs that they're in europe by the way all over the place too these wars leagues where um the kids just (laughs) learn like week one yes they're timid worried about people around by week three they're laughing having fun chasing the ball don't care unless they're the kid with the parent like you see that yeah the parent who's overly critical those kids are delayed in their development in pursuing the ball confidently with no fear and no judgment they're the ones who have the parent who's overbearing they're the ones who have the coach who's overbearing or telling them they're no good or telling them they got to hurry up and then those kids stay locked in the looking over at the bench thing so there's your proof and i I think everybody listening can understand what we're saying because we as adults have this right like we have things in our heads uh it affects our performance right bottom line no matter what it is so um so yeah i i think there's a that's a that's a big one i think just letting kids pursue the ball freely without over without too much advice can you think of other ones that would like lead to help teach a kid to compete hmm because i i have one. Oh, <laughs> why don't we end the silence and <laughs> let you uh I, my, well the other one i think is like the ability so p- tied with that the ability to pursue and chase is the ability to shake off so like mm. the competitive person you could argue um they value what's happening, but I think if you care too much about what's happening, then it carries over into the next point, the next point, the next point. Yeah. So I think that teaching kids to shake things off fast is, is a great key to competition because then that player, they yes, they can be competitive, but they'll fall off because the well, idea is to compete and maintain quality, right? And maybe on some in- instinctual level, they know that the fun is in the moment in the in the in the next rally and play and so therefore why dwell on the past anyways right like if 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 they're playing the sport which i think i think we all agree that most kids are playing the game for the fun of the sport then yeah hopefully yeah hopefully and then not forced by there yeah therefore fun is only in the moment that's about or sorry it it, it's in the rally it's not in the rally that just happened right or the rally that's about to it's just so Maybe there's a slight genetic thing there, or it's just like you're like you're saying, their exposure and how to treat the game. Uh, game of volleyball is so good for it because it's just rally, next rally, next mm-hmm. rally. Just be able to reset like that. So I yeah, I definitely agree with that. Those who can just kind of like let the last one go and go again. Like there's nothing. Yeah, like especially someone who whatever gets roofed. And then uh, mm. the setter, I, I love setters who do this though, who then give go that, right back. go right back. Yeah. Right. And then mm-hmm. they, they go for it. 
yeah. um, and then they put it away or whatever. Like that's yeah, I love that too. Even in a rally, yeah, yeah, yeah. even if the rally keeps going, sometimes I've had setters like go back three times. Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Beat this, yeah, beat this, and, ball. Then, and then it fires you up as a hitter, or you're exhausted. Are you exhausted? You're like, why are you sitting me? No, no, <laughs> I'm tired. I love it. I, I, love know, that I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I loved it all the time. He's just kind of going up with a smile on the third one. Yeah. Um, I think left sides are are like that. Yeah. Yeah, because you just like how could you not? Yeah, especially going up against the big middle. Yeah, uh, short man syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I think I think one great way to teach it is um, like we talked about this. Remember touch ten, like those yes, quick quick those. quick drills where the coach is hammering it at the player. There's a circle of balls. You're not giving them. We did we talk about? We, you're not giving them time to think. Exactly. I love it. That's why I meant the reset. Yeah, right. that's like the the just teaching them that if they wallow then they're going to n- fail miserably at this drill. And if they wallow, they're going to fail miserably in the game. And more importantly, if they wallow, they're going to fail miserably in life, mm. right? Because that sort of don't like sport is there to teach us about life because uh, we're going to be in life probably a lot longer than we're going to be in the sport. Mm. And so the, the real benefit is to shake stuff off um, so you can live and function and uh, perform. Right, because in life, if you can't shake things, it's the same thing. You're not going to perform in your life. You're not going to be a great parent. You're not going to be a great yeah. uh, employee or business owner. Or anything. This is such a great episode. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am. Sort, I am sort of. I am sort of gearing this to you a little bit. I'm oh, okay. Sort of okay. I mean, no, I'm gearing it to everybody. <laughs> um, no, it applies to all of us, like myself. Like it's, uh, you know, um, it's it's such a good thing. So I think competitiveness, like you can be a great competitor. But if you don't have the ability to shake things off, it's useless. Yeah. Right. Like then you're 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 diminishing your ability to perform. So, so I think touch ten and any drill where there's a quick. Re- I I love when I'm running drills. Like uh, no matter what it is, if it's like a six on you know six our starters against subs or mixing in subs with starters, it's just quick reset. Let's go. Here we go. Quick reset. Here comes the next one. Yeah. Serve fast. Let's get the drill going fast because you don't want the players have time to think. And the best practices. I love those. Right. We love the practices where you come out and you're exhausted or like my mod when i'm coaching kids is like they should be sweating exhausted out of breath and like laughing yeah by the end of every set and if not then you haven't done your job if they're not drenched in sweat laughing breathing heavy and just you know yeah wanting more then uh then the the night hasn't gone too well so um because that that built into that fast pace is uh no time to think no time to wallow yeah next well that's actually i'm reading a you know, Tim S. Grover's second book, Winning. Right. And his motto in there is done next. Cool. Done next. Right. It's great. That process. Yeah. Move on. End. Move on. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't, don't sit back. Don't celebrate too long. Don't <coughs> uh, lament too long. Done next. You know. Give me some good ideas for some drills. I've been tapping into this like high pace stuff because that, that's a big thing. I'm teaching like a lot of beginners right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, slow slow to start but i love like i'm slowly getting into um getting more structured drills going and i just remember the other day um i showed the drill and then the first uh two athletes did it and then it's like where you pass set attack move on and then they did it and then i was like okay go like next next let's go and then there's a little sitting around they're waiting for feedback and then they get in there and i'm like no and then i'm just like snap the ball go 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 and then finally i'm getting them like 
going or whatever and then yeah like great stuff starts and then because then i i i'm not spending time giving feedback i'm just like that's not the point of this like right. and they're they'll make a mistake and they'll pause i'm like yeah it doesn't matter grab go like let's go let's yes. go right and they'll they'll figure it out by the way right like you mm. ask any player what did you do wrong they're like i threw it too far in front of yeah me, or, I would so many times early i went it's so great because it's literally just yeah them shaking it off and going shaking it yeah. off and go. it's it's really interesting because when you think about it like you know whether it's called flow state focus whatever it all the best drills are just trying to get you to stop thinking right they're like you mix in some good thinking things sometimes like at higher level volleyball you want to get the players thinking a bit mentally about what they're doing but not about the result so this is part of the reason why maybe we see some athletes perform better in practice because that, that this is a way to it's not artificially creating a zone. You're you're getting them in the zone, but you're also using distraction and, and pace and tempo mm-hmm. to to not give them their minds time to then do its thing. Now yeah. it's tough when you're in a game, you know, the play happens, there's like an eight second window before mm-hmm. the ref blows the whistle again. And that's eight seconds of your athletes on the court to then let their mind go wherever right yep. and so this is where we're talking about the internal competitor who is internally motivated or sorry competing against themselves yeah and and also maybe the coaches uh doing the wrong thing where they're then they're way too vocal in those eight seconds yeah just not letting them so like and it, like that is tough it, that is awkward especially for young athletes you're going to see them on the court It'll be noticeably awkward for you as a coach as it is because you're seeing it in them. Mm. But let them get used to it. Let them get used to that being there. You're, you're on stage in front of people in a way. It's not public speaking, but it's kind of the same thing. There's a gym full of you know kids' parents all watching. Yep. And it's probably like nerve-wracking. But then let them chill. Play a few tournaments in it. Just don't say anything and they'll get used to it. And That's then, it. Yeah. It's letting them go through the reps. Yeah. And letting them And then talking it. about it, like the difference between being on the court in practice and then in the gym, like uh, yeah. I'm sure that'll help. But Yeah. And diminish the significance of that yeah. moment like that. And that's where just being in it more is the key. Because uh, in theory, unless you're a parent or coach who just keeps on harping about the same things, the value of anything diminishes yeah. the more there are of it it's like dollar bills right if we start giving everybody a thousand dollars a month pretty soon a thousand dollars a month becomes the new zero yeah it diminishes in value so if you do a thousand different tournaments and a thousand different tur- uh, you know points or whatever you want to talk about the the significance of each point diminishes and that's sort of the goal yeah right to play free and loose not you don't want to diminish in terms of like you know the, the the pursuit of winning or whatever but but you wanted to diminish and actually we we talked about at the top like how often did we as players play better when we were loose yeah. right you play better when you're loose always 100 percent. so if you're doing all the necessary prep work and then you go into a game where you're seeing it remember like a lot of great coaches talk about the pra- practice with the intensity and the game feels like practice. You know what I mean? Like you, your practice is yeah. like the games, the intensity there, and then the game should feel like practice. Yeah, that's where you should be loose. Um, that's how you get a competitive player who shakes things off and doesn't overvalue the moment. Because the minute you start thinking about the difference <laughs> between the the games and practice, that's a dangerous thing to get into. Right. So there, there's one thing. There is seeing. I mean, t- talking about Tim Grover, he's. So Tim Grover was just so we know. Want to explain who he was? He was uh, 
Michael Jordan's trainer. Uh, was it before he went on the six ring? Yeah. Six champion? It was, oh, it was yeah. Season one, right? Yeah. So not season one, but like at the time. So he became Jordan's trainer when Jordan had a hard time getting over the Pistons. Right. The Pistons That's right. And then he so didn't he, win the next championship, but then he kept working with it. And then he, yes. Yeah. He got Jordan to get mentally, physically yeah. to the next level. And then he did this with Kobe. And, and then Jordan were, only let him. Jordan, yes. Jordan's famous line was, I don't pay you to train me. I pay you not to train anybody else. else. And then when Jordan retired, and he saw Kobe was very similar to him. He yeah. got, uh, he told Kobe to contact Tim Grover. He let he let Kobe have him. Yeah, and uh, and then he trained Kobe through his whole career too. So. And you have D Wade. Yeah, Dwayne Wade, bunch of guys. Um, so what I was gonna say is he assesses the people he works with. Now this is obviously like we're talking the pursuit of the top of the game, right? So if we're talking about ways to create competitiveness in players like these i think what we're saying is is great and we'll get you there but now you do that with someone who is also one of these one in a million people someone Mm -hmm. like jordan or kobe who can push themselves beyond unimaginable limits um and a lot or a lot of these people we see are are in the nba but not all of them are jordans or kobe's or Mm -hmm. you know what i mean these are the rarest one one interesting thing he did say sorry i'm just gonna it's okay jump in he said that the difference between Jordan and Kobe was that Jordan just knew how to do things mm. and Kobe had to copy Jordan. Interesting. He said Jor- Jor- uh, Kobe worked harder than Michael at um, Isn't that crazy? Once- replicating. Jordan just did it and Jordan yeah, kind of taught. There was I think no one Jordan before. taught Tim Grover some things too. And Probably. Grover, Grover was interesting to Jordan too. But uh, Kobe worked hard to become like jordan yeah and jordan was just innately this freak of nature yeah plus the coaching of tim grover helped too yeah absolutely i think that's why they got along i think i think tim grover and jordan were very similar in their approaches to life and i think that's why when they ended their partnership jordan said if i ever see you on my block i'll shoot you (laughs) (laughs) yes because he did push jordan oh yeah a lot and that's what jordan loved yes but sorry so you're saying? My, yeah, all I want to say is that uh, Tim would do an assessment of the people because he works with other athletes as, now as well. Mm. He assesses them to see how far he can push them, Yeah. right? Um, and we even got into the thing of with the taller players, he has a theory that they tend to be weaker because they were – so he, he was talking about players that are over 6'10". This is my theory as well. Yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> what, that's true. That he they he's not able to push them as far mentally um, – well, mentally is is physical as well. Like, what is physical? Put it's right. mental, and when you break, right? Yeah. And his theory is because as when they were like in high school or whatever, they were really tall and awkward and lanky, and everyone was staring at them and making them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And because of that, which also aligns with our theory of starting starting this with young when they're young to to teach them to be free. Yep. Um, is that they learned uh, an unfortunate. Uh, they had unfortunate experiences at that young age and that stuck with them all the way into adult, all the way into the NBA. And then he wasn't able to push them as far as athletes who are under like six, nine, yeah. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my point is that he needed to see what their limit was. And as a coach, like, we'll we'll see, you'll, you will see varying different, you know, limits in your athletes. If, and you do want to push them to it, right? Yeah. If I'm thinking, if I was like a coach of a really competitive team, like 
Absolutely. I want to see how far we can go. And not, and not in terms of like physical punishment. We've gone over this. Yes. Like you, you can talk to your athletes like, hey, the physical aspect of the game is real and we're going to do this. We're going to get strong. We're going to get fast. We're going to do all that. Um, but then when you apply it like on the court, when you're trying to get your practices to a higher level of intensity than your games, then you're going to hit your limit. And then once you once you get a sense of it, then you keep it there. And then some days the players can't go to it and some days they can, right? And it's just being aware of when you can go that far. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, yeah, diminish it. Make it, get into it as often as, um, as many times as you can. Your games are going to be so much easier. And like, yep. we talked about this, like my comparing my varsity experiences, my coach was not very good at this. And then we had a team that went a perfect season and then we go into playoffs and then we crumbled. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. what's going to happen. It's not yep. surprising at all. Because the myth is that we rise to the level of our competition, but really what we do is we fall to the level yeah. of our training. Yeah. So you want to make sure that that level of training stays super high because that's where you're going to fall to yeah. when, when poop hits the fan or when the challenge comes in. So if your practice level is super low, then when the competition comes in, you're going to fall to that level. You're not going to rise. Everybody says, oh, we'll, we'll pick up the pace when we meet that monster opponent team. No, you're going to, you're going to fall to whatever peak was in your practices or or, sorry, whatever the bottom was. So keep the bottom nice and high in your your practice. Right. And that'll help you compete. There's another thing then, like how you see, how you see a team deal with a, a, a team that's clearly not on their level. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, right. They should crush them. That's true. I know, it's and that's out of respect as well. Yeah, it's true. Uh, it depends on where it is. Like, <laughs> you know, if you're playing some adult league somewhere with a bunch not, of old, yeah, yeah you don't not destroy that. them like we do. <laughs> <laughs> we wail against bad uh, teams. Rise to the like, highest yeah. level. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it's funny because my kids playing in adult leagues, and then sometimes they would go back to their school team or their club team, and I would have to tell they them. I'd have to wait. tell them the difference. Yeah. Like, no, no, you don't take it easy here. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, then you can fall apart. You are a lot of young players and rec and leagues it, wreck you, man. Rec I leagues have a theory. They'll, of course they do. That of course uh, they, that's why I told you not to play them. Yeah. When doing the twos thing, I was like, don't play these leagues because. Uh, well, I've been playing these bottle leagues since I was well, but especially because it's like, <laughs> but, but I mean, to go back and forth between twos and fours. Yeah, I know. It's it kind is. of a uh, uh, good. Well, it's too many people. Right, like yeah, crowded. Yeah, I know it's making it's giving me bad tendencies. I know it is. <laughs> well, that's why you got ace down the middle. <laughs> for, oh my spinsters. god! Like, oh, I thought that we should have a person in the middle here. <laughs> We're always, yeah, probably. Jeez. Uh, no, probably. um, so I think I think we've pretty much we've touched on some pretty important points. Like, so I think you can teach competition, or at least, sorry, you can maximize someone's. A potential whatever their ceiling yeah. is genetically because yeah, yeah. there is definitely a difference there's people who want things people who don't want things i think the number one thing you have to make sure is that the kid wants to be in the sport because we have a, more right. kids than ever who are playing who don't want to do it their parents are making them do it for their own insecurities and their own shortcomings so if the kid's into it then the next quality is like okay let's not you know put things in their head that they are worried more about us than the ball uh, so they pursue the ball freely. Then I think you can talk about, so how they pursue the ball is a great way to, you can actually sharpen that. Then you can reduce their, um, 
their wallowing time or their like you know reset time like by doing things like touch 10 re- fast paced drills that get them going um, 10 side outs that's a really good way yeah like lock them in like gotta get 10 yeah no matter how many reps it takes yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah uh and and just keep it fast so they're not sitting around thinking about or like you know joking around yeah. too much between points and then uh and then the last few things what do we say about um compete yeah, yeah well, well sorry i was starting to try to compile a list like the min- the diminishing um that's the big one right more reps uh what was the other ones we said so the, yeah the reset mm-hmm. uh how you play against like lower level teams right that was the one at the end that right because it shouldn't shouldn't matter it shouldn't matter because that's still based on the external <laughs> like you said early on yeah like if you're if you're too dependent on what's happening in the audience and not focus on your relationship with the, just the ball yeah. performance, regardless of what's happening around. That's a huge one. Um, ability to shake things off. Yeah. So I think the coaches can help facilitate. Parents can help facilitate. At the early ages, I would say, you know, the number one thing you want to work on is joy and, and enjoying mm. the game, mm. fun, passion. Playing free is so important for young kids. And then later on, you can start to incorporate as they get older the drills that are high speed um and hopefully they're bringing that tenacity to chase the ball and 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 like why does this matter like why are we even talking about like this like Hmm. why are we even talking about it because i think i think it's that if you can get it's good good to say this at the end of the show (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's such it seems so great like if you can get uh any kid to like love a sport because sport later in life as they keep playing it as they become an adult it's in my opinion one of the best ways to learn about like life mm. right it's probably sounds super corny i'm sure we've kind of we've said it this another way volleyball like, is life yes like it really is like if you can get them to love the to have fun in the sport and to really um respect or, or understand and value what they get out of just you know socially physically mentally all the lees yeah well cause and effect <laughs> yeah right it, like the realities of the universe like yeah and, and the more fun they have the more competition they get into they get into greater challenges and the greater challenges lead to more significant life lessons and then you get into like deeper things and also again more life lessons and then you know you meet other people who love challenge as well mm-hmm. and then you're you're getting this process of next done uh you're it's a done next what is it done next done oh sorry done ne- yeah sorry <laughs> not next done that's done. looking ahead makes sense yeah yeah makes sense right uh, the, there's there's so many times where we've said like there's so much value in this like more in like a college class in many ways right oh yes so, i mean there's a reason why people are putting themselves their kids in volleyball and sports right because the, the everybody knows the life lessons it teaches yeah uh sadly people are Hard trying to work re- they're trying to reverse engineer the act like sort of like what you said off the top by accident but yeah <laughs> like they're going off the symptoms of of competitiveness yeah rather than what the essence of competitiveness is which is that internal drive to pursue and chase and make you know just like in life right it's uh to be better to get it to get it right to go after it like that's literally what we want to teach our kids because at the end of the day they're not going to be playing volleyball you know 99.9 percent of them aren't going to be playing volleyball for the bulk of their lives Mm. but if you can ingrain in them to go after things without worrying about what other people think without um you know wallowing too much on any speed bumps they hit along the way to reset when poop hits the fan 
and that's imagine an entire population it. that had some of these values yeah. or you know learn them in, in in greater degrees yeah like right? my, my kindergarten class in 1970 <laughs> 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 no yeah like it's uh it's a cultural thing that's sort of you know a lot of cultures have tried to talk about this you know across whole countries and yeah but um you know the it, just think about how you want your kid to be and then uh you'll see where uh where this this sort of show fits in or this idea of teaching these values is so important because it's not just about the volleyball uh, so many people think it's about the volleyball yeah and it is but volleyball is something i the, do it's a conduit yes yeah, like hugh mccutcheon said on our show it's something i do it's not what defines me yeah so yeah so i think we can teach compete and part of it is getting out of the way early on. Uh, and then uh, if they love it, they will compete harder. By yeah. The, by the way, right? If they don't love it, then they won't compete very hard. I think yeah. it's pretty basic. So, sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Good. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we will see you next time. Next well, time. we won't see you, but you'll see us. Yeah. And you'll hear us <laughs> and you'll switch us off well before the final match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see you next week. I mean, you'll see us. What's the big idea?